The pre-med path can be super confusing. If you'd love some help on your path or on your applications, use the promo code PMY for pre-med years, PMY over at medicalschoolhq.net and get some help from some of our experts, former directors of admissions, admissions officers, other experts. We have a small team ready to help you today. Again, that's promo code PMY to get a discount on our services at medicalschoolhq.net. The pre-med year, session number 563. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. I have an amazing guest today that I'm excited to chat with. Someone who has just very uh, kind of stereotypical journey into medicine. Uh, someone coming from an athletic background, having an injury, getting exposed to this world and going, hey, that's really cool. I think I want to do that as well. And we're going to have that conversation here in one second. Before we jump in, though, I want to talk about the MCAT Minute brought to you by Blueprint MCAT. Did you know the Blueprint MCAT has a free, free account over at blueprintmcat.com where you get access to a free full-length MCAT exam, a half-length diagnostic exam, an amazing study planner tool, and much, much more. Go check it out at Blueprint mcat.com to get your free account today. All right, let's go ahead and say hello to J.R. Smith on his website, evolvingmedic.com. He lists himself as a husband, father, and medical student. Love it. Let's go and say hello to J.R. J.R., welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. What you have going on here is fantastic. So I'm honored to be a part of it. JR, when did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? So I was definitely a late bloomer. Um, I went to college with actual plans on going to the Olympics. I think I a little overestimate, overestimated my uh, athletic <laughs> abilities, but I went to, to college as a track and field athlete. I was at Duke. Um, had a pretty traumatic knee injury when I was competing because mm. that was kind of my introduction into medicine, introduction into orthopedic surgery, which ultimately I'm pursuing now. Um, but all of this kind of happened in between freshman and sophomore year of college. So early enough to, uh, you know, be able to get my pre-med requirements taken care of in college, but still not, I think, as early as uh, the traditional med school applicant. Yeah. So you, you have this knee injury and you're like, oh, there's this whole world out here where there, there are doctors helping athletes. That's kind of, very similar story to me, actually. <laughs> I was playing baseball, hurt my shoulder, introduced to this world. I'm like, oh, I can put baseball players back together, uh, which is my, my initial interest in, in orthopedics as well. So what, what year were you in undergrad when this happened? So I was a freshman. This actually happened in like my second collegiate track meet ever. So it wasn't like the best, best way to my, uh, my, my collegiate career. But um, yeah, started freshman year. Hadn't, I didn't take a single pre-med um, course in freshman year. Um, I ended up having to stay for the summer um, to do some rehab and things yep. like that between freshman and sophomore year, which was yeah. awesome because it let me kind of at least start chipping away at the pre-med classes. Um, that summer is when I took like 
the the orgo one orgo two kind of back-to-back killers which almost then re-deterred me away from medicine but yeah i was able to stick it out yeah so you're you're doing your track stuff i i'm assuming outdoor track so during the spring that that second half of your first year which is when when all this went down. So it makes sense that you, you hadn't taken anything. So, I mean, you weren't super late to the game, but definitely not a traditional pre-med starting off gung-ho, like it's Gen Chem 1 and Bio 1 right off the bat. Uh, when, when you first realized that this was something you wanted to do, how did you go about figuring out what that path would look like? So I was very lucky to have an orthopedic surgeon who is now like a, still to this day a mentor. Um, and so I basically just asked him, how can I do what you're doing? Um, what's that process look like? And um, he is actually still very active in just general mentorship within the medical school, even at Duke. So luckily, because I think sometimes um, just asking this to a doctor, they, if they're out of touch for like the the, the process of going to medical school. And <laughs> Which most of them of are. Medical school, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, they haven't done this for 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes that advice could be hit or miss. But I was very fortunate. The person who ended up doing my surgery is like was very active in the medical school mentorship. So um, he then connected me with a few of his colleagues who um, were kind of stationed. One of them at in Colorado, Dr. Eric McCarty, who's at Boulder, um, connected me with him and connected me with another person at Duke who I then was able to shadow. I shadowed the person at Duke when I was there. I shadowed Dr. Eric McCarty when I was in Colorado. And so essentially for any time I was home a little bit, like two weeks for that summer, and then Christmas breaks, those things like that, I'd be with Dr. Eric McCarty in Colorado, doing some research, doing some shadowing. And then when I was at Duke, I was either gonna be with Dr. Taylor, the surgeon who did my knee, or his colleagues um, that he connected me with doing research and shadowing. And so I think just getting in that kind of space where I was at least able to experience what it was like being a doctor was like the the first step. Um, And then outside of that, he basically just told me, talk to your uh, pre-med counselors and just make sure you take the right classes. And you're gonna have to take a big test called the MCAT. So just make (laughs) sure you're prepared for that. Small little thing. Yeah, little, little little thing. Um, that that kind of thing was still over over his head. That wasn't his area of expertise. He just wanted to get me exposure. Um, but so I got the exposure, and then I kind of set up time with my pre med advisors to figure out what courses I needed to take. Lots of students try to connect with physicians, uh, only to be hit with uh, being stonewalled or being told that the doctor's too busy or based on rules of the hospital or clinic. I can't see you. I can't talk to you. I can't help you. Why do you think you found someone that was so willing to help you uh, and support you? And, and how do you recommend students nowadays go and try to find people like that in their life? Yeah, I, I do have to say I was very fortunate with just the the person that I was introduced to because he was so active in this mentorship space that it wasn't the first time nor the last that he was going to be having a pre-med student ask him for help kind of getting organized and figuring out what this med school, pre-med kind of life looked like. Um, But I think that one thing that students can do, especially nowadays where this is becoming more common, is getting used to or getting comfortable with like cold emails, even cold like DMing people on like Twitter or Instagram. Um, A lot of people are integrating social media into like their practice, like build Mm -hmm. their practice. Um, But a lot of people really love mentorship. And, you know, I was fortunate that the person who did my surgery was into mentorship. But nowadays, there's so many people who are also into mentorship and want to be able to 
um, you know, fulfill those interests. And so they use social media and things like that. And so I think if you can kind of start to be on the lookout for people who you resonate with, people who you think could kind of provide some guidance um, and then being comfortable enough to send a, a cold email or even just the DM, I think yeah. that that's a good place to start. And what I found is that usually, even if they can't help you directly, they'll usually at least funnel you to somebody who can. Um, yeah. And sometimes it's like a funnel after funnel after funnel, but um, <laughs> I think a little bit of diligence in, in this kind of networking um, pays off in the long run. Yeah. And, and I would venture to say it's, it's not, it's, it's less so being comfortable with the outreach, it's being comfortable with the rejection that comes from that outreach, right? Understanding mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. probably a large percentage of the people are, are not going to respond to you just because they're busy or they don't see it or whatever. And there are going to be a handful of people that will tell you no. And then there will be the small percentage that will be like, yep, happy to help. What can, what can I do? Uh, so it's, exactly. it's that rejection. I think that was something... Um, I, I was always fascinated with the the sales process. I'm always very entrepreneurial. And I did the very kind of college student thing when I was in college, I sold Cutco knives. And and so it's a very much a sales job where you're calling people and uh, saying, hey, uh, can I sell you some knives? <laughs> and and you just, you deal with rejection after rejection after rejection. And then eventually it's, all, it's like exposure therapy. It's like, Oh, this actually doesn't hurt, right? My my amygdala doesn't really like <laughs> doesn't like it, but it's not hurting me. So, I can just keep doing it and and good things happen. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a great point and I think that there's also like a um maybe like a misconception about what students think of when they're reaching out to to mentors because you're definitely going to have a large amount of the vast majority, 90 plus percent who just don't get back to you, don't mm-hmm. see you know, your email or whatever. Um, but I do think that, that there's a part of that percent that sees the email and it's it doesn't seem like it's, you know, either like a well-worded email or coming from a place that the mentor necessarily appreciates and then just yeah. gets ignored because of that reason. Um, and so I think that, you know, one thing that I've learned is that like mentorship is like a two-way street. And usually when I try to code email because I still I still to this day as a fourth year medical student, I'm still sending emails to to people at different institutions, hoping that they get back to me and trying to kind of master this art. Um, and so I've realized that, you know, the more like interest that I show in a person, mm-hmm. the more likelihood I'm going to get a response from that person. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of like a human nature kind of thing. I have, you know, even some pre-med students reach out to me and those that seem like, you know, that they know me or have been following me or like interested in the things that I'm interested in and, yeah. you know, express those kind of things. I get very excited to, to respond to those. And I'm sure, you know, for students reaching out to, to faculty, if you do the same thing, if you know their research interests, if you know what they do, if, if, if you find a way that you can support some of the things that they do, yeah. um, you know, I think that that's going to give you the best shot of, of getting a, a response. Yeah. So to, to put it another way, right, the, the more personalized it is, <laughs> the better right. off. I, I get so many emails from uh, from podcast like companies that are like, I really enjoy your podcast. It is great. Here's my here's my pitch, right? It's like, let me right. sell you something. I'm like, you you didn't even listen to my podcast. <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, and so, same thing with with cold outreach is, um, I find that a lot of students are um, will we'll just send a very templated thing of like, hey, Doctor Smith, I'm really excited about orthopedics, blah 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 blah. And there's there's nothing personal there. And and so Doctor Smith is like, oh, okay, great, I'm just another number to this person. Um, but then. Also, a lot of students uh, are, 
know, maybe to put it nicely, a little over ambitious with their expectations of what this person is going to do for them. And they write this 300 paragraph, <laughs> like, here's my autobiography with a, a the, and the, the person reading, it's like, oh, where's the question? Like, what am I supposed to do here? In the very end, it's like, any thoughts? <laughs> like, what? Like, right. come on. So, right. so I'm, you're a fourth year now, right? We learn in medical school and beyond when you have a, a, a consult for, a special a specialist, you're asking them a question. You don't just go to the neurology <laughs> consult service and go, hey, I, I have a patient with a brain. Can you see them? No, you're going with, <laughs> hey, I have a patient who's 53-year-old female, blah, 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 blah. Here's my question, right? Here, here's what I'm concerned about. Can you come? Can you come exactly. check her out and, and let me know? Same same thing with these cold outreach. Like, don't don't give them all this information. Give them a little bit. Ask a very specific question. Show some interest. Be be personal. All that good stuff. So anyway, um, this is turning into a podcast on <laughs> how to reach out to mentors. So <laughs> you you obviously found some great mentorship. Um, you. Uh, obviously, we're a good enough student, right? We could stereotype athletes and go, oh, athletes are dumb and <laughs> whatever. But uh, w was academics hard for you at all? Or was the pre-med path pretty easy for you? No, it was it was definitely a very challenging uh, a path. So when I started, again, taking Orgo 1 and Orgo 2, started out pre-med with a C- minus, and, and then I, I, I was able to improve very slightly to a C plus in Orgo 2. So <laughs> <laughs> I started off definitely not, I think, how the vast majority of pre-med students who kind of have more of an academic um, focus, at least earlier on in their life. So What, what were you um, majoring was, in before that or thinking about doing? Or were you just there to have a good time and run track? I was primarily there to have a good time and run track. <laughs> okay. um, that that was the answer I expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I ultimately majored in um, evolutionary anthropology, which was like I was going to do it anyway because it was like an opportunity to kind of like watch videos on like animals and it was cool and it was like not bio or chem or, you know, business or some or like computer science, all the ones that everyone else at Duke was majoring yep. in that seemed harder to me. Yeah. Um, and so I actually ended up still majoring in that and it kind of had some like anatomy and medicine overlap a little bit. But um, I, yeah, I was not planning on having the pre-med classes associated with it. Um, I was very fortunate enough to kind of slowly improve. And again, I think because those were at the beginning of my academic journey, um, you know, Ultimately, my academic resume in college saw that upward trend that a lot of people are looking for um, because I was able to kind of figure out how exactly I learn what what like, you know, doing well in school really looks like, especially at that level. Yeah. Um, and so I think I, I still I, I still had a C plus, I had another C plus in some I think it was like biochemistry or something <laughs> like that, because I ended up with three C's on my transcript. Oh no, um, how did you ever get into med school? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> and, I, and that's I, I'm sure that's a very common thought with like a lot of people. Um, and that was, I'm pretty sure that was like the beginning of sophomore year and then junior, senior year, I did did, did very well uh, comparatively. But um, I think my overall GPA was like a 3.4, like science GPA was like a 3.2 okay. um, because of those C's. Yep. Um, and then the MCAT, I ended up taking the MCAT twice. So the first time I took the MCAT, um, 
I got, I think like a 506 or something like that. Not bad. Um, which it wasn't terrible. Yep. Um, I, I, I felt like I could have done better. I didn't, I don't think I prepared. I didn't, I, I know I didn't prepare how I wanted to. So I just wanted to, to, to go again and I got a 511. So a little better. Um, a the lot second better. round. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I was like very happy to take that. So from an academic standpoint, you know, MCAT twice, ultimately with the 511 and like a 3-4 GPA, 3-2 science yeah. GPA. But with a strong upward trend. Right, yeah, that's that's yeah. always the, the key there. I, I get so frustrated when I'm on Reddit or Student Doctor Network and students are just like, I have a 3-3 GPA. What are my chances? I'm like, I don't know. Like, what's what's the story behind that number? What does your trends look like? There's there's so much right. more that we have to to pick apart and, and uh, dissect there. So MCAT twice, one application cycle, two application cycles? Just one application cycle. Um, yeah. I ended up taking two gap years between... Okay. Um, pretty intentionally. So I didn't take the MCAT the first time until after I graduated. Okay. Um, and because like I had just finished my like pre-med courses, like senior year. So yeah, I makes sense because you started you a year late. Through. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, MCAT was both of them ended up being after graduation. Um, I got married like right after graduation too. So part of the reasoning between behind the gap years was just trying to get a good foundation for my marriage. But um and then I was doing research at a sports medicine clinic in Boulder, Colorado, um, with that Dr. Uh, McCarty. So I think, um, yeah, I ultimately had two years off. Uh, and I and I think that that was very beneficial for me for just uh, having to apply once. I think if I would have, because a part of me wanted to just take the one year and I got I had my MCAT and just do like a year of research and just kind of, you know, try to get through like that. But mm-hmm. taking the two years for me personally, I was able to, essentially spend the year focusing on the MCAT and then the next year just focusing on putting together the best application that I could. Mm-hmm. I think that's what allowed me to ultimately just have to go through once. Yeah, so one one and done, thankfully. Um, when you were looking at schools to apply to, how how did you figure out where, where you wanted to go and what schools to apply to? I didn't have great guidance in this realm. I kind of just like applied to essentially like almost like the, just like the top 20 schools. Cause I was like, like all of these sound cool to me. Um, and I think that this is, this is one of the reasons why I started, you know, my YouTube channel and stuff to kind of provide some guidance. Cause a lot of this for me was just what I think ultimately, like even, even where I'm at right now, the reason why I applied to Mayo was because my wife was like, Oh, there's a medical school. That's like 30 minutes from my parents' home in Minnesota. Perfect. Um, you know, <laughs> I was like, and then I was like, Oh, I'll apply to them. And then I looked at their like me, median MCAT and GPA. And I was like, honey, don't get your hopes up, but I'll, I'll apply. <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, so, you know, going to your point, I think that the reason why I was able to have a successful app, which we can touch on more of the details is just because of, you know, having a, a, a story that I was able to kind of paint very clearly yeah. in my, in my application overall. But yeah, for the most part, it wasn't too much strategy going into the schools that I applied to. I think now I usually try to guide people, you know, have, there's like tiers, like reach, target, safety. Oh, I completely disagree with that language. Oh, Uh-oh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. It's okay. I, I love having this conversation because I just, it, I mean, you're potentially a great example. Um, and, and there are so many more examples of students applying. Like if, if I were to go on the MSAR right now and look at Mayo, their median is probably 517, 518. You're 511, probably 10th percentile. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of students will go, I don't have a shot there. I'm not going to apply. I'm like, says who? 
10% of the class is at that level, right? Which at Mayo right. is like six people or whatever it is. It's a super <laughs> right. small class. So it's, 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 it's my, my point is always, I, I think too many students, and I was just having this conversation this morning with the director of admissions uh, at UCF for, for the pre-med years uh, podcast. Um, too many students use stats as the filter of like, I can get in, I can't get in. Well, first of all, <laughs> who says you can get in just because you meet the stats, right? There's there's mission fit and and um, just, just culture fit with the school. There's also, um, do you understand why you're doing this, right? You may have a 4.0 GPA and a 528 MCAT and you have zero clinical experience and zero shadowing and you're like, my reason for being a doctor is I am super smart. Therefore, that's what I should do. <laughs> and med schools are like, no, thank you. Don't don't want to do that. So I don't, I don't know. I think the whole like reach and safety, like that's a very undergraduate level thing, language wise. Med school is so different in terms of um, the the stories that are being put out there, um, the the reasons why people are doing this, right? There's really not a reason why someone goes to college. Everyone just seems to go to college because that's the next thing you do in this country. Mm -hmm. But to go to medical school, to commit to seven plus years of your life and hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, like you have to have a pretty strong reason. And there's just so many students who are like, I'm really smart. I should be a doctor and going, okay, I'm going to apply to these schools because I match their numbers. And then, the, and then they go on to Student Doctor Network and be like, I have a 4.0 and a 525. How did I not get into med school? I'm like, I can guarantee you why you didn't get into med school. Um, right. And so it's just, I don't know. I don't know. That's that's my philosophy. Don't basically um, uh, uh, to to put it in a nice little package. Don't say no for the med schools. Apply to schools that you think you're going to be a good fit at, that you think you'll thrive at, even if your stats don't meet what the MSAR says they should meet. If you're above, if they have published minimums, which uh, I hate schools that don't publish minimums, which most schools don't, unfortunately, um, apply, let them tell you no. I, I get so many messages from students going, Dr. Gray, I applied to the school. I didn't think I had a chance. I applied, I interviewed, I got in. I'm like, thank you, just apply. <laughs> anyway. Right, yeah. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've, I've uh, been on the admission committee for, for Mayo for the last two years. And... Um, our stats are still like absolutely ridiculous. Like the median MCAT is, the, yeah. is this year was 520. Yeah. And we're still taking people who thankfully look like me with like the 511s. Um, <laughs> even below oh, thanks for, thanks for scraping the barrel there. These 511s, exactly. I suppose yeah. we'll take them. <laughs> but like one thing that I've, I've really recognized is that it's usually like just seen as a can this person do well academically yeah. and the range for doing well academically is very wide. It's wide. And yeah. So, you know. I, I get in trouble because I say good enough. Right. And, and I'm like, your, your GPA has to be good enough. Your MCAT score has to be good enough to prove to that medical school, whichever med school you're applying to, to prove to that medical medical school that you're not going to be an academic risk, that you're going to get right. through the curriculum, that you're going to pass the boards as, as much as they can predict that. Right. And I think students, hear my good enough and they go oh well dr gray of course dr gray is saying that because he wants to sell you all of his services and he <laughs> i'm like no that's not why i'm saying that i'm saying that because that's the truth right there is a huge range again unfortunately med schools are not transparent enough in terms of what their minimums are to give students hope and i think um that i mean that's just the big mission that i'm on is is increase that transparency 
I love that. Yeah, I love that. So you you get into to med school. What what was that like to get your your first acceptance? I'm assuming you had multiple acceptances. What was it like to get your first acceptance? Yeah, it was like my wife and I were both over the moon and I think I I went through so I didn't even know of Student Doctor Network until <laughs> after like I clicked submit on my application. Good, that's a good and thing. <laughs> for some reason, it, it was a very good thing. But the bad thing is that for some reason, I found out about it before I got my acceptances. <laughs> so there was this window between my, I had already applied to around 20 or so schools and just feeling like, oh, okay, cool. We'll see what happens. This is going to yeah. be fun. We'll see which ones I get into, whatever. <laughs> Um, and then like starting to like look things up or what, and, and then I'm like, oh, I guess th these are the types of people that get into these schools. I'm not, I, I'm not going to med school. That's not me. To, yeah. We'll try this again. Um, so when I got the first one, it was, I think, validating for me that, you know, it, it was, it reaffirmed what we were just talking about that, like, you know, an applicant's story and applicants fit with a program. Those mm -hmm. are the things that matter more than like stats or whatever student doctor network says matters. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was an extremely validating experience. It just, you know, I felt over the moon. I've that I feel like getting to med school is like the I'm going to be a doctor moment kind of thing, because for the most part, as long as you, you know, stay the course in medical school, like you're, you're going to graduate medical school. So, like, I think the highest hurdle to becoming a doctor is really like the pre-med to med kind of jump. Yeah. Um, then you just have to, you know, make sure you just do what you're told in med school. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. Uh, on social media, students are always posting, I got into med school, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm like, you're going to be a medical student. You still, <laughs> you still right, have yeah. a little ways to go. Um, I, I just, I internally think that I'm like, I laugh. Obviously, the far majority of students who get into med school, finish med school and and become uh, physicians. Let me ask you a question. So I, I talked to a, a student the other day um, for, I believe the pre-med years, maybe it was something else. I forget, I forget, I record too many podcasts. Um, uh, black woman on her way to medical school, finding mentorship, finding this, finding that multiple acceptances. One of the schools that I think would have been financially better for her, she felt like it was a token acceptance as, as a black woman getting into that medical school and getting that acceptance. I talked to, uh, Thankfully, not a lot of students who come from uh, uh, ethnic or racial minorities in terms of medical school admissions, and they kind of play play that card's probably not the right term, but they they use that as a potential thought in terms of their thought process to go. I know my stats aren't great. I know this isn't great. I know that isn't great. But right, but. I'm black, I'm Mexican, uh, Latino, whatever. Mm -hmm. For for you in your journey and having some admissions committee experience, my my standpoint is obviously play the cards you've been you've been dealt, right? And you still have to prove that you're going to get through medical school. How do you right. how do you balance that kind of uh, thought process and mentorship as you talk to students or as you're looking at applications of like I, I, I don't, I don't know the, the right question to ask, but it's, how, how do you, how do you deal with that right. or think about that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I, I, I think I hear what you're saying. Cause I, I had a similar kind of, I think experience when I was applying into medical school and even now applying into residency of like the thought, you know, if schools are wanting to increase their diversity, then hopefully they look at 
the way that I can improve their diversity and maybe that will like help me. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that a lot of students from like unrepresented minority backgrounds, you know, think. Um, one of the things that I think I would challenge a lot of students in is that it's not enough to say I'm black or I'm Hispanic or whatever, however you identify that mm -hmm. serves as a minority population. It's more so to use your experience to like serve, I think, two main roles. One, in terms of this minority aspect, one, you can use that to kind of highlight ways that you have overcome challenges in your mm -hmm. life. If you were, you know, put in uh, unfortunate positions because of like socioeconomic status mm -hmm. um, and you want to highlight how you are able to take the cards that you were dealt and capitalize on them and do a lot that you know, yeah. even if you weren't able to achieve at the highest level, you're probably able to do achieve at a level that most people wouldn't be given the cards that you were given. And 100%. I think using it in that way is a very valuable way to use the the kind of minority or whatever identity yeah. um, identifier you want to use. And then the other thing now looking at it from the perspective of like an admission committee member is there's a, there like like some people are able to easy have an easier ability of answering the question like how are you going to add diversity to our to our class to our and, and those things like really matter so much research has been done over the past few years about like optimizing diversity in a workspace or in this case like a class um you know really uplifts the entire class or community or whatever yeah and so it's something that you know these programs are thinking about and if you are a minority it's almost like an automatic for you to be able to add diversity because of the race or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so I think now the way that I think about it is I'm not going to just use this identifier as I'm black, so, or whatever, but it's more because of my experience as, in as my a case, black a black person. man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like now, you know, I've experienced certain things. I've been able to overcome. This is going to give you as an admission committee, admission committee member, confidence that I'll be able to overcome challenges in the future because of how I've dealt with them in the past. Or yeah. I think I'll be able to really serve to uplift the class because I'll be adding diverse background experience, you know, religion, anything else like that because of this minority status that I have. So I think that that's, that's how I now try to um, advise students to think about, you know, the things that make them unique. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely did start similar to, I think, the <laughs> conversation. And I had the similar fears too, especially when I got into these schools without like, you know, the stats that, oh, it's big. When you start it, you feel like hopefully they like me because I'm black. And then when it happens and you're like, well, maybe was it just because I'm black? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but again, I think it's, you know, being able to really appreciate the story and, and what that actually means. 100%. And, and with affirmative action being overturned, I think it, it comes into even more play to be able to. And it is a big fear among the minority population is like, oh, my, my race isn't going to matter anymore. I'm like, no, it matters much more. You can't just check a box. You have to you have to talk about your experience. And so and we can still use that in admissions. We can use your experience as a black man. We just can't only use the fact that you're black in in your determination for acceptance or not. So exactly. And like the exact way you just said that is how we were told how like how we can move forward as an as the admission yeah. committee. Yeah. We can't say just because they're black, but we can 
use their experience as a black person. Hundred percent. And and the schools that care about diversity will will focus on that, and the schools that don't care about it won't. And it's it's kind of the way it's always been. So I I don't think anything's really changed. Um, it's just a little bit more public now. So I don't know. Right. I don't know, we'll see. Um, so Jr. As as you went through this process, right? You seemingly have been a very successful person track and field athlete going to duke um going okay i'm gonna be a pre-med student yeah a couple struggles here and there with okay biochem whatever um but but doing well on the mcat took you two times but in in like if you look at 506 that's above average and then you improve five points which is uh really hard to do as well you're you're doing well did you struggle at all in med school? You've, you've been coasting this whole time. <laughs> well, I will say that um, I felt like the primary, my primary struggles did, I think, happen early on. Um, and I think like like learning how to study towards the tail end of, of undergrad, I kind of got really into like evidence-based study strategies and all of those kind of things. And like that helped me in undergrad, but it also like really served as a good foundation for me. Yeah. Um, you watching like Thomas school. Frank on, on YouTube, all of his study yes. strategy Who's stuff from Colorado. I he, think too. he's a buddy. Yeah. He lives, uh, he lives over in Denver. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like Thomas Frank, and, <laughs> you know, Ali Abdal, all these like YouTubers and yep. learning about like active recall and space repetition. And I kind of like, and I have like a notion that part of it, part of the template is from a, um, a, a Thomas Frank notion template. Cause I like, can't get into notion. I can't, can't get oh, into it. It's, it's, it, it's a, it's a tough learning curve. <laughs> but, um, I think because I kind of started medical school really, and I had, again, those two years to really like go in on this with like those gap years. Yeah. Um, so I, I started in a really good place, I think academically. Mm-hmm. And there were, there were like, you know, some things where I had a fine tune as, you know, I recognize my learning style in medical school and having to kind of make some adjustments. But um, I was very fortunate in that regard in terms of the academics. I think one thing um, that may have been like maybe maybe potentially a unique challenge, but um, I'm married again and my wife and I, we had our we had our our only kid um, at the beginning of second year. Um, And so there was definitely a season of life where I just felt like I was like, running all over the place, not able to like balance. And, and I think like to, to a degree, a lot of people in medical school will have this, whether it's because like you, you have a kid or whether it's because you join too many research projects and you're still not like comfortable studying the right way or because you're trying to do in medical school, it's very easy to be pulled in different directions and stretch yourself in. Similar to undergrad, right? It's so many Mm -hmm. freshman students I I talk to are like, I joined this pre-med club. I did this research thing. I did this thing, but I got C's in my classes. I'm like, well, you didn't learn how to be a a college student first. And so it's very easy for students in, in medical school, I think, for for the pre-med audience listening to this, right? Medical school is basically undergrad 2.0, pre-med 2.0, where it's like, you got all the classes, you got to do well in them, and you're still doing research, and you're still getting clinical experience, and you're, you're still shadowing. You're doing all these things right. for your next application. Um, I, I want to go back to to having a kid. What is your what is your your spouse do? Your partner? Yeah. So my wife, she was an elementary PE teacher up okay. until this past year. Okay. And then she decided to uh, stay home and just stay with with our son, which okay. has been like huge for us. Yeah. Um, but elementary PE and we were kind of balancing. Yeah. How do you how do you deal with that balance? Because I could guess, uh, I could just assume that you're a busy medical student 
and she's she is the mom, right? And typically, uh, the mom is is kind of dealt the, the the cards of like I'm the one that has to breastfeed, and I have to do this, and I have to do that. And, and sometimes there's some resentment of like, oh, you're going off to to med school. How do you how do you deal with that that communication? Um, and, and balancing all of the things that had to be done. Right. Yeah. Well, I definitely have to say that my wife gets like all the roses <laughs> and credit for like raising our son. Um, because yeah, it's been a lot on her shoulders. I think you mentioned, you know, a word that is, was the solution for us, which was just like communication. And a lot of times in medical school, like our schedule's not really under our control. Like our time isn't our own for the most part. Um, and as responsibilities started picking up, like clinical responsibilities and study responsibilities, um, just like keeping my wife updated with what those were and communicating, like, hey, I have to be in the clinic from here to here. And then I still have to study. So I'm thinking about studying when I get home, maybe for like two hours, Could like let's like plan like six to eight. I'll just like be in the basement studying. Um, but outside of that, like, let me know how I can help. Let me know how I can like relieve the the duties of, of, of parenthood for you for like a few hours. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of got into to that rhythm, which was very helpful. Um, and it was a learning process because a lot of times it was just me not sending a text message out and showing up and then, you know, later than expected and being kind of frantically like, oh, I have so much studying to do. And my wife like being exhausted and they're just, you know, so it's a, it's, it's definitely like a learning process. And, and, and a lot of times uh, people learn through shortcomings. Um, but I, I will say that the communication aspect was, was kind of key in us kind of finding a routine on how we can manage and balance that. Yeah. So being a medical student's not enough. Being a dad's not enough. Being a spouse isn't enough. You go out and you're like, I want to be a content creator too. Um, what what made you start uh, evolving medic and and kind of go down this content creation journey? Yeah, so I initially started evolving medic like right when I started my um, like med school interviews, and I came across like a stat that I think it was like by, published by the AAMC, and it was like more black men had applied in med school or applied to med school in like the 1970s yeah. than they did. It's crazy, at, like, you know. Whenever I was applying. Um, and I was like, this is wild. Um, I kind of attributed it to the idea, you know, you can't be what you can't see kind of thing. So maybe if I like document my journey going through this. And at this point, I had learned about medical school from just like watching YouTubers, like a lot of YouTube personalities talk about their experience. Um, but none of them really looked like me. And so my idea was maybe if I could do this myself, then people will be able to resonate with me. Um, and then hopefully think that they can do it themselves. Um, so that's kind of what started it. And then as I continue to grow in that space, uh, I, it was gratifying to hear students say that, you know, I was contributing to them understanding the process more or contributing to their own personal success. And um, so, you know, I think now the purpose is just to try to reach and educate as broad of an audience, regardless of, you know, identifiers as possible. Um, and that led to, you know, a, 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 the YouTube channel. Um, I have like a podcast now, a similar kind of start to the podcast with interviewing minority orthopedic surgeons to kind of get their story, um, you know, a website, all these kind of things that it's, it's almost like a, a cycle of people 
give good feedback and it like fuels energy to create more and this kind of like cycle of that that now I'm in and I I actually like it and, and I will say that I think being in this content creation while a student actually probably makes me perform better than I would otherwise I think I, it's almost like I have like I don't know I don't, I don't want to one I don't want to like let people down and two yeah. it's like I have an audience that's going to be like what was your step score <laughs> they're holding <laughs> you accountable or like where did you match yeah. yeah and so you know it's like I I work I try to work really hard and I try to learn a lot of ways to succeed myself so that then I could share it with my audience. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's been kind of like a, a fruitful, um, stressful at times, but fruit, fruit, fruitful for sure process. Yeah. Where do you see the, the future of Evolving Medic as you are, uh, let's assume you're going to get into a, a great orthopedic program. Uh, I don't know if you've heard residency is a little time consuming. <laughs> what does that look like? Yes. Yes, I've definitely heard. I think ultimately the frequency of like the content that I put out um, will change. Um, the medium of content will probably also change a bit because I, I also have a newsletter um, that comes out probably like once every two weeks. Um, and when I started, I was making a YouTube video once a week, which like now looking back is crazy because in 2023, I think I made a total of like seven YouTube videos Okay, um, because like fourth year has just been in the end of third year, like very different than like the pre-clerkships when like I'm only in class from like eight to noon and I have like the rest of the day to like do what I want. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but I've been able to, I think, spend time doing other things like a newsletter or even just like being open to jumping on like podcasts, like your show or doing things like that, that would require less time for me personally. Like I don't have to like edit videos and do all these kind of things. So I think when residency starts, I'm going to try my best to still be producing some form of content. The frequency I'm sure is going to change. It's going to fluctuate based off, based on rotation and the medium may change as well. Um, it's a lot easier for me to write out a newsletter than it is for me to make a 15 minute YouTube video. Yeah. Um, so you know, I, I still want to do the YouTube videos and things like that when I do have the bandwidth. But um, luckily, I think like my audience understands and, uh, you know, the, the expectation for kind of regular content for people in this field, I think is, is, is it's, it, I think it's understood that it's not going to be the case. So hard. It's very hard. <laughs> I'll try my best, but yeah. we'll see. <laughs> I, I laugh when, and, and I love, I love when there's more podcasters in the space because mo the more exposure to the, the medium, the better for everyone. But I was, I laugh when it's like a brand new medical student going, I'm starting a podcast. I'm like, good luck with that. <laughs> right. You're going to be busy and it's not as easy as it looks. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's hard. Uh, it's, it's hard, but, uh, you've been doing it now for a while, uh, making content, doing things for the pre-med student listening. What should they do? Where should they go to, to see what you're up to and, and try to learn from you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can find everything, all of the things that I'm doing from the newsletter to the YouTube, to the podcast on evolvingmedic.com. Um, and I will put a, a little plug out for a course that is dropping January 1st, um, which you can also find on evolvingmedic.com. Um, it's called the Evolving Student Challenge. Um, and so this is essentially just going to be uh, me going over all of those evidence-based kind of ways of learning um, that's, that I think students can really benefit from, that I've benefited from um, for 30 straight days. And so this was probably the most uh, content I've created because it's 30 videos um, that will be shared 
one day for the entire month of January, um, as well as some kind of like homework assignments and a personalized Notion template um, with it to kind of help say organized and all that kind of stuff. But um, all of that will be can be found on evolvingmedic.com. And then you can find me basically everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, um, LinkedIn. I don't think I'm Evolving Medic on LinkedIn, but on most social media platforms, YouTube, um, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff is Evolving Medic. So um, and please also feel free to like send me DMs. We were mentioning sending DMs and like cold DMing people. I, yeah. I love those um, and I love responding and I love trying to help um, when I can. All right. So there you have it again. J.R. Smith, medical student, podcaster, YouTuber, doing all the content creation stuff. Go check him out. EvolvingMedic.com. Thank you, JR, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to say hello to us and talk about your journey to medical school and beyond. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com for all of their amazing free resources. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.